Do You Cash Flow podcast, where we talk about real estate, real estate investing, flipping, managing, pretty much anything about making money in real estate. If you're new to the show, this is a weekly show that publishes every Friday. And if you get value out of this show, please subscribe to the podcast. It really helps our ratings. And hit that share button and send it to a friend if you think they could benefit from creating sustainable wealth through real estate investing and ownership. I'm Jason Kirchie, and along with Kyle Balaf, this is the Do You Cash Flow podcast. So, Kyle, who are we talking to today? We're talking to JD and Melissa today. They're going to talk us about their wholesale company and what they, how they built their company and what they do. JD and Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely thrilled that we're here. Thanks. So you guys are right in our back door. So for those of you that are listening, um, my office is located in Panama City Beach. Um, Kyle, do you have an office? Or you kind of just work from home and out of your car, right? I work from home out of my car, basically. He's in Panama City like Beach, too. <laughs> we, we invited Kyle to come over here and, and work with us and hang out in our office with us, but nice. he prefers to be public. <laughs> so J.D. and Melissa are, are located in Panama City Beach. Actually, they're just a few minutes from my office on the west end of Panama City Beach, and I'm super excited to hear about their business, and I was telling them a minute ago that, for me, it's kind of personal because they're right here in our back door, uh, or in our backyard, I think is the saying goes. Um, but anyway, um, so J.D. and Melissa, tell us about your real estate business and tell us what you're doing and how you cash flow. Well, um, yeah, it is exciting. I'm glad that we get to network. We're always looking to, to meet uh, more people within our within our uh, area operation. Uh, our our business started a few years ago, and uh, what happened was Melissa and I uh, we each had our own um, rental business, and we were trying to um, trying to you know make uh, cash flow from real estate. And what we found was that it's not very fun doing it by yourself. And after we met, um, we decided that, uh, building a wholesale business would help us get a cash flow, uh, in order to, to purchase more rentals. So, um, a few years, I guess it was two years ago, uh, we came together and my wife's a part of our business too. And, and we, kind of mapped out a business plan to um, start a wholesaling company. And really it's more of an acquisition company. Uh, what we do is market to um, homeowners and try to find good deals. We cherry pick the good deals to put into our personal portfolio or, or to personally flip. And the other ones we wholesale off to other investors. So I wanted to stop you real quick. And so we get a lot of jargon on this show and we also have a lot of beginner uh, be in a real estate investors that listen to our show. And then, so I wanted to step back just a second and, and maybe come up uh, to a little bit higher elevation and discuss wholesale for a brief second. Can you define what wholesale, what, what it means when you talk about um, buying and selling wholesale? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, wholesaling, there, there's a whole bunch of different definitions uh, for it, but uh, essentially what we're doing is help uh, transferring uh, a property from a homeowner to some sort of investor. There's a bunch of different ways to do that. Uh, most commonly that you'll find all the gurus on the internet talking about is that you put a property under contract with a homeowner for a hundred thousand um, dollars saying you're agreeing to buy that property for a hundred thousand dollars. And then you find an investor that's willing to pay $110,000 for that property and instead of them buying the property directly from the homeowner, they buy our contract 
from us for $110,000. Uh, and we assign our interest in that contract to them, and and uh, the property transfers from the homeowner to the investor, uh, and we collect a fee on that. Uh, and then that, from the aspect of flipping, uh, when it comes to wholesale, you're you're by basically buying direct from homeowner and doing whatever work that you want to do, and then trying to sell direct to to buyer without having uh, probably real estate commission fees. Is that correct? Yes. Well, we still account for our real estate commissions. So we would we would buy that property at a discount, fix it up ourselves, and then sell it. But but the real estate commission, and especially since Melissa is an agent now, uh, the real estate commission funnels back into our business to to some extent, or we account for it on the front end, so that it's we count you know that we consider it just like our rehab cost. It's just a cost of doing business. Uh, and we don't account for it on the profit side of our company. Got it. So, uh, so tell me how you guys got started. Um, so you said that that you guys were originally you had a rental business. Was it a short term or a long term rental business? And and tell me a little bit about that. Give us background. Well, we both had long term rentals, um, and then we met at a mastermind a few years ago. And then you know we had a lot of similar interests and. And we found, uh, well, Annabelle, JD's wife, our other partner, found uh, an apartment complex. Uh, and that's the first deal that we did. We just did a JV and did that deal together. And then we had so much fun doing that that we decided that we wanted to just do this full time as best we could full time because we all had full time jobs, too. So we were doing two full time jobs. Um, and uh, we started in Alabama and then moved over to work just in Florida. Um, JD has some other properties out of state, and then I have a few over on the east coast of Florida, but now we focus predominantly on the panhandle right now. Okay, and then, um, so, uh, when did you start, when did you start doing what you're doing now here in northwest Florida? Um, we started in about January. It was probably a couple months after Michael. Okay. So it would have been 2019, early 2019. Was Michael an impetus to uh, kind of get rolling in that, in this area? Because there was um, opportunity? It, it was what brought me here because um, uh, I also have an ownership in a sheet metal business. So our, some of our contractors from Texas were down here working. And so they asked us to come down here. And then when I did, I saw so much damage and a lot of people that yeah. didn't have insurance and um, didn't have money to get their houses repaired. And so, you know, uh, I talked to JD and said, hey, you know, we need to really look at this area, too, and see, because I think there's a lot of opportunity here to help people. So when did you move to the area? I mean, I, I it sounds like you weren't living in the area at the time and, and then you relocated here because of the opportunity. Is that is that correct? Um, I lived half the time in, in Dallas, Texas, and then half the time on the East Coast, Florida. And yeah. so then January, I moved over here. And so then I was traveling Dallas, you know, the Panhandle, and then um, uh, Orlando area, kind of doing that all the time. Wow. And then you now you live here in Panama City Beach? Uh, I live in Santa Rosa Beach. Uh-huh. And then J.D. was in the Air Force. And so when we started, he was in Vegas, and then he got transferred to Virginia, 
And then he recently just got out of the Air Force, thank goodness, so that uh, we could both <laughs> full time. Yeah, full time. Yeah. So that was November uh, when I got out of the Air Force, and I had been coming down, uh, trying to once a quarter come down here. And then COVID happened, and the military put a a stop on all of the travel uh, to Florida um, initially. And uh, it was really hard to run our team and, and build anything, get any momentum without me being here. So when, they, when I left the service, uh, I moved down here full time. When, and you said you left the service November 2020? Yes, that's right. Okay. So you're, you're, pretty, you're pretty new in terms of being full time. Um, and yep. so, um, so, so now you're, you're living the dream, man. Yes, it is the dream. Yeah, and just to be fair, he was going full time. He was doing full time, full time, full time, full time. It's two full time jobs. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I feel you. I know how that is. It's entrepreneurship. That's that's, that's the way it is, man. Yeah. You got to hustle, hustle, hustle every day. Yeah, we just worked really crazy hours. So what are you guys? So what? What's your main? What's your main? Um, your main focus right now, day to day in your business. Our main focus day to day, what what pays really pays the bill bills is marketing uh, and lead generation. Uh, that lead generation allows us to uh, get properties and homeowners into our funnel, and we're able to evaluate what's the best situation or best solution for that homeowner. Whether that is selling for a discount because they need to be out of the property soon, or whether that they want the most amount of money possible for their their property, which usually that means listing on the MLS through Melissa's um, agent side of the house. But I guess to answer your question, the day to day focus is is lead generation, and then that's where everything else starts. Whether it's a, our buy and hold stuff or our wholesale stuff. So walk me through um, the last couple of deals that you've uh, that you guys have brought on. Um, okay, well, so the last the last wholesale deal that we did, we have uh, uh, a team of uh, a couple of virtual assistants who uh, are cold calling for us, and so we'll pull we'll pull a list of um, a potential prospects, right? We'll, we'll pull a list of homeowners that um, have houses in zip codes or areas that we want to target. And then we'll skip trace those phone numbers for those people and upload them into our um, dialer system, which we use a, a system called ZenCall. Uh, it's a multi-line dialer. And then our cold callers will start calling that list. And once they get a lead, um, they go through a basic script asking some basic questions. Do you want to sell your house? How many bedrooms? How many bathrooms? What's your timeline for selling? Um, and, and some other basic questions. What's your motivation to selling? If you don't sell, what are you going to do? Once they get the answers to those questions and they qualify it, they believe that that person is, is really looking to sell or really has a problem that we can help them with, they'll push that over to our CRM where Either our other VAs will start to call back and, and qualify even further, or it'll come to Melissa and myself. And um, from there, we reach out to the homeowner, try to get an appointment to view the property. Uh, once we're at the property, we take pictures and um, try to determine what the rehab cost is and what the value 
of the property is, and then we'll negotiate a price if it works for the homeowner. So where did you and say you get the list from? Uh, we, we get lists from a lot of different places. Okay. Some of our favorites are uh, code enforcement lists, probate lists. Um, we'll pull uh, tax lien information or foreclosure information. And uh, also we'll look for high equity vacant uh, properties. And we can get those lists from a lot of different places. Our, our primary source for data is a, a system called PropStream. Uh, but we also use other uh, system, uh, other um, places. Uh, one's called List Source, um, and I can't remember what else do we got. Yeah, um, did you say it. Prop Stream, like like property, and then like stream, like a like a like a like a creek stream? Yes, that, yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, that's a really good system. That pull, we use it prim- primarily for pulling lists. From that system, you can go in and, and search and pull up. You know, I think the average um, account is about a hundred dollars a month, and, and you can pull thirty thousand properties a month or something around that. Okay. Um, but but that system is is a different. It's probably the number. And this is just my opinion. We don't have an affiliate with them or anything like that. We just use them. But it's probably the number one source for real estate data if you don't have direct access to the MLS. PropStream? Um, yeah, PropStream. Okay. So for He's those of you listening, it's I, I, I'm not. I, I'm not sponsored, affiliated with them. I, I don't know if they're good, bad, or indifferent. Um, but but uh, but it sounds like you guys have had a good experience with them. But, but this is kind of a missing element that I think a lot of people have is, you know, that's great. Where do you get your data from, though? You know what I mean? And, and so that's a, a, just a, a next level kind of thing. So, so that's good information. Thanks for sharing that. So how many? Yeah. So I have a question for you. On your cold calling, how many deals do you get from your cold calling, say a month on average? So it, it, what, what, the way our numbers were, and we figured these numbers out right at the end of last last year, that our cold callers can make about 130 connections a day um, in in an eight hour shift, and it takes one cold caller about 15 days of calling. To get one lead, uh, one one contracted lead, I guess is what I mean. So they get, you know, roughly a handful of, uh, of real leads a day, and then from the it, it takes about fifteen days for each cold caller to get one lead that goes through the whole process to, to get an actual contract. And you're using and VAs, are, right? Yeah, we've done both. We yeah. we are currently using VAs, but we've done in office callers and and VAs. Well, where are your VAs um, domestic or are they uh, Indian or Philippines or? Yep. It, it, the ones that we have right now are from a company called Rocket Station and they're located in the Philippines. Okay. Um, and it, can ahead. I circle back? And I, I just want to circle back because you had asked him about the last, I think, two deals. So the last deal was one and that we wholesaled. We had it under, we had 18 people at it. We did one open house. We had 18 people and it under contract in like two hours. Wow. And the deal before that, so we wholesaled that. The deal before that one, we had somebody that it was, uh, the property was in real good condition. She just wanted to get out from under it. She was willing to own or finance it. So we just took that one on and kept it in our long-term portfolio and we're cash flowing on that one, um, 700 a month. Nice. So that one property that you'd said that it was under contract very quickly, 
Um, tell me, tell me a little bit about that property. How, how big was it? What'd you pay for it? Um, you know, was it, did it need a lot of work? How much did you put into it? Um, what'd you sell it for, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, we didn't put any work into it cause it, we did, we wholesaled it. So oh, okay. it was a smaller house. Um, it had been like in the family forever. I mean, it was probably a thousand feet maybe. I think it was 1200. Yeah. Um, and so, um, she just wanted an old Billy lady and, uh, her family didn't want her living there alone anymore. So it was just about being able to have her just walk out the door. She did want her chandelier. And (laughs) so we made sure that she got to keep that. And then, uh, one of our investors that has invested quite, bought quite a few homes from us came in and, uh, and took it right away. Uh, it, the, we made, I think it was 20000 on that one. So, and, and we had a higher offer on that one, but yeah. we went with, we had a, uh, uh, we marketed it at 82000 and we had an offer for 82000 uh, but it was somebody that we hadn't known before that wanted uh, to put a bunch of contingencies on it. And our previous buyer that's bought multiple properties from us was willing to come in a little bit less. Um, a little bit less on the price, but with no contingencies. So we ended up taking the, the lower offer with no contingencies. So what's your average wholesale um, profit? That's a relative term, but per mm-hmm. deal, what are you usually looking for? 10, 15, 20? Well, we're always looking for 20,000. That's what we go into, but we, we don't set a limit on that on that number what it what it is, but usually it comes in less than that. And I think right now, if we go for the average uh, from the last six months, I think we're sitting right around I don't know nine thousand dollars. I think is the average. Um, Seventeen five. The average. Right. Okay. I so just on wholesales, I think it's okay. it's around nine. Okay. Okay. So. All right. So to help people understand that. So you make, let's just say you made $20,000 on that deal. What I guess a lot of people don't understand because I always have to answer this question is you made $25,000 or 20,000 on that deal. What was your cost to get to that deal? So, yeah, that's all. That's always difficult. That's always what people want to know. Yeah. Uh, it, it depends on the lead source that it came from, but we're usually looking at, uh, and, and if we're talking all costs, it's probably a little bit more. But if we're just talking about marketing costs and employee costs, um, we, we're looking anywhere from uh, four to six thousand dollars per deal. And, and Kyle, that's always difficult because it, it depends on uh, any person you ask that question to. They're taking different factors into how they're figuring it out. I mean, are you figuring your rent and your overhead? What exactly is that person counting? To, how, to say how much that deal costs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's because it's not just how much that mailer costs or that tax campaign costs or that VA costs. There's just a lot of costs that go into it. Do you have metrics to measure that? So which source which source is getting you the yeah. best deals? We do. Right, right now, the CRM that, that we use has the ability to track either um, – individual mailers and also campaigns. So all of our cold call leads that come in are tagged, are they're tagged with 
uh, the cold call campaign. So once that deal closes, we're able to go back and say, okay, well, um, this, this lead cost us X amount of dollars that we had to pay the virtual assistants to operate for this many hours. And we can backtrack our numbers like that. And then if it's a direct mail or, or something like that, we, we track um, each of our campaigns. We send, set up with a different phone number. And so we know that when a lead calls in on, you know, 555-555, that it's attached to a specific list or, or specific mailer that we send out. And we can see how much that one costs. And then we divide the total number of deals and, and dollar value that we got by the total number uh, cost for our mailer and can figure out what the marketing cost is like that. So which source is your best right now? Right now, uh, we had, uh, and Melissa, you can answer if you want, but uh, text message has yeah. been our best, our, okay. our best yeah. source, uh, mo- most um, frequent, but it's getting harder and harder to, to work the text message. Okay. So uh, another, another thing that I think uh, would be helpful to understand or, and explain, I know a little bit about hiring um, VAs overseas. I've employed a, a couple of different um, VAs, either from India or from the Philippines, um, to do a variety of different tasks. Never any um, phone calling or anything like that. So, that. so that's a different take. Um, but but, but uh, I don't know what the costs are per hour now, but, but you're not paying 15, 20 bucks an hour for that stuff off, uh, often. You know, I know back in the day, I, I had some admin VAs that were I was paying anywhere from 2 to $5 an hour, depending on um, what I was doing. And of course, for them, you know, um, with their, uh, I think they call it geo arbitrage, but you know, if they make 500 bucks in a month, that's, you know, I remember I, I, uh, I had one VI, I, I bonused him 500 bucks one Christmas and he like, I didn't know really like how much that was, but he was at the time, I don't know what it is worth today, but, but, uh, he was just over the moon. He was like, this pays my rent like three months. Like you don't even know how much this helps. And I was like, wow, you know, like that's great. <laughs> you know what I mean? What do you, so what are your, what are your costs? How does that work in terms of your, your VAs? How much are you paying them an hour? Because when you uh, mention, you know, um, what, what did you say? 15 days of, of full-time calling for one VA to produce a qualified lead that's going to maybe pan out that, that um, at first blush seems like that's going to be very expensive. What, what, give us a ballpark idea of what that might be. Uh, well, we've done VAs uh, that weren't affiliated with anybody just that were on their own. And, you know, we've, paid them the four five six dollars an hour and we didn't have a lot of success with them so we went with rocket station which is um was recommended by a lot of different investors that we um are friends with and so we paid ten dollars an hour but there's also a manager of the girls and so she helps a lot with the management and that's just part of it so that's a huge help for us where she does um uh, quality control helps us with that and, you know, um, make sure that they're on task and that they're getting it and does weekly training with them to help them be better as well as, as well as what we do. Okay. So it was definitely, we have found that for us, it's been better than people that we've had in house. Um, and the results have been much better. And, and the, just, the connections with the the homeowners and being able to get information from them has been much better. 
Okay. So let's go back to that deal that you had under contract really quickly. Um, so uh, I'm just going to walk through the mechanics and I'll make a couple of assumptions, I'm sure, as well. So that one, um, I imagine you had some VAs or, or somebody was somebody was working through the process of generating that lead and then you had the lead and then you worked directly with the homeowner. Did you you put the property under contract? Is that is that what you did? Correct. Uh-huh. So and we then, put the property contract and then I took on the disposition side of it to find a, a buyer. Okay. And then your, your buyer pool, you didn't list it on the MLS. You were, you were looking for, for private buyers, um, I assume, right? How did, how did you do that? And how did you, do you have a network of people that you normally um, well, circulate with or? Yeah. Um, in regards to, we have a, a list of investors that are looking for specific properties okay. that we try to talk that when we're looking at properties, finding properties that what they are looking for. Yes. Okay. And then how did you build a list of, of potential investors of people that, that are potential buyers, investors? Uh, a lot of it's networking and, okay. you know, meeting people, talking to people, um, you know, Kyle and all of us, Kyle, JD and I go to a lot of meetups and such. And, and then just, you know, funny, I know it's crazy, but Craigslist, when we put some of our, our properties out there, we've gotten a lot of people. In fact, one of our buyers that buys quite a bit from us, we found, she found us on Craigslist. Nice. Yeah. So, and she's, uh, you know, she'll buy them from, you know, 10 to 300,000. So she's, she's, uh, she's just, she was great. I mean, that was just the ideal yeah. situation and we found her on Craigslist. So, you know, we find people on Facebook, social media. Yeah. meet up our networking, website. yeah our website whatever you know we try to even even when we're text messaging or in our direct mail we're finding people even when the girls are cold calling people they're like i'm not selling my house but i'd be interested in finding another property yeah. what yeah. do you have add me to your list so those kind of things got it and then um do you circulate new uh new properties that you have available what via email to uh, to this list that you have built or, I mean, you publish on your website and they just watch or is, or is there a regular email distribution? How do you, what's the mechanics of that? Yeah. Most of the time um, we will, when we get a property under contract or when we are getting close through the negotiation process to having a property under contract, we'll look at our list and, and, and decide, you know, who, who whose buying criteria does this fall within? And we'll reach out to them um, directly if we're questioning, uh, you know, what, what price can we get the property for? Or what price would they be willing to pay for it? Uh, but aside from, from that, we have a, a kind of a checklist that we follow. We'll get the pictures. Uh, I'll create a uh, email campaign through Mail, MailChimp. And we will send it out through email to all of the people who have elected to be on our buyers list. Once that goes out, we'll monitor that for uh, a little while, and Melissa will then send out some personal emails uh, to individual investors uh, that she thinks that, that it will, will work for. And then after that, we will send out, we have a, a um, buyer's text message um, list that will will create a text message that says, hey, you know, fix and flip. In Panama City Beach, three bedroom, two bathroom, fifteen hundred square foot. Here's a link to the pictures, or or a link back to the to that uh, email, and then um, we'll get some interest from that. Some people saying, "Hey, when can I see it?" and stuff. If we get enough interest, we'll schedule 
something similar to an open house or or uh, viewings of the properties. Um, some some of our buyers will buy without actually going to the property. Some of them won't. Um, and and from there we just look and negotiate. Um, and that's Melissa's you know bread and butter. She'll negotiate um, with the the potential buyers or, or the the investors to, to get the best price that works for everybody. Um, I just had a, a thought. I wondered, um, so it's really interesting. So one of the, one of the things that I, I'm, one of the things that excites me the most about doing these podcasts is that we get to talk to all these different people that are doing all these different things. And, and for me, I, I don't know if, if I, if I can speak for Kyle in this, but for me, I, I really enjoy the business aspect and understanding, um, you know, how other people are, are making money, making a living, you know what I mean? And, and I, I, I just love the creativity because, because, um, and, and so for me, like, like I, I'm asking all these questions that are kind of probing and maybe even oftentimes seem naive. Um, and those of you that are listening that have heard several of these podcasts, you probably think at the beginning of them, man, this guy's real dense and, and, uh, and he's, he's not very sharp <laughs> and maybe I'm not, but, I, but I'm trying to understand, um, you know, kind of the mechanics of how the business is operating. And some of these, uh, some of these podcasts have been um, really challenging for me to understand because some of the mechanisms that that our guests are doing are super complicated and and they're just they're just more complicated than what my little tiny pea brain can understand. Um, but but uh, but I usually end up getting it. Um, I, I I love what you guys are doing because it looks like what you're doing is you you've you found a way. You're going you know I need to cut out all the middlemen. I need to go directly to the seller, but I need to find you know the best deals that are going to be for what I'm looking for and what I'm wanting to do. And, and you're connecting directly with those, with those, uh, homeowners, uh, or, you know, homeowners slash sellers. And then, you know, you're making it, it sounds like you're making a decision on what you want to do with that property, whether it's keep it or, or sell it on to somebody else, depending on whatever your own parameters are. And then you're taken directly to the buyer and, and you're just, you're just kind of, you're brokering that deal by, you know, through the acquisition and sell of it, um, basically. And I, and I think it's, I think it's super, it's super interesting. Um, so do you close on these properties or are you, are you putting them under a signable contract when you're doing we do it? Both. Okay. We do, but it just depends on the deal. And I, I do think that, that something's important uh, to, to say about that. Um, a lot of the people that we're targeting and in, in finding it's it, because nobody's going to sell their their house at a discount if they can if they can get away with not selling it at a discount. So really, what we're talking about right now and what we've been talking about is numbers and how the deals work. But but the the value that a, that our company is able to bring uh, to the homeowner is is something that that if we don't mention, I think a lot of newer people will think that it's just a, a, a simple thing. Uh, people don't sell their house. In, in a non-traditional fashion, unless there's a reason that they ha- have to. Yeah. In Panama City, especially, and a little bit in Panama City Beach, uh, th- there's a lot of people who went through a lot of uh, uh, bad situation and uh, with, with the hurricane and bad contractors and not having insurance, and there's a lot of those kind of things. And uh, sometimes, you know, like, uh, for example, the one, the one deal that I like to, to talk about is there was a lady, uh, she's a little bit older than me, and she, well, she was about my, my parents' age, and she had a, a mentally disabled son, and her, her son needed a handicap-accessible house. Well, her house was completely destroyed um, during the hurricane. There was, you know, uh, a huge tree across it, and so she left that house, 
and used the insurance money to purchase it for a down payment towards a new house that was handicap accessible so her and her son could live while she was working three jobs. Um, she had used a, a um, one of Bay County's, uh, uh, I guess, down payment assistance programs, but because she didn't live in the house long enough, that, that was due. She also had a judgment against the house uh, from a real estate agent, and um, she didn't have any way of paying those off, and so she was ready to let her house go into um, foreclosure so that she wouldn't have to deal with that anymore. And she had spoken to, to multiple different wholesalers. And by the time that we got her, she was pretty much fed up with it. She hated the city. She hated the county. She hated the other real estate agent. And she was literally ready to walk away uh, with, with nothing. But what we were able to do was find a, a, find a buyer that was willing to pay 35000 uh, roughly 35000 for for the property. Um, the The... Bay County uh, loan assistance uh, that she owed back was tw- around twenty five thousand, and the um, the judgment she had against the property with the real estate agent was around ten thousand dollars. What we were able to do was get the the buyer to agree to pay off that that um, those those debts, but we were able to negotiate with the real estate ag- agent to give up the judgment. So we were actually able to get her, I think, $1,000 and then walk away free of the lien. We were able to make 1200 bucks, and uh, the, the investor was able to pick up a property significantly under market value that he was able to, to fix up and build. And I think, I guess what I'm getting at is, is that there is a value in a service that sometimes re- regular real estate agents can't fill um, because there's not a room for commission inside some of those um, properties and there's a lot of legwork that goes into doing the deal it's not just getting a homeowner to agree to sell for you know less than what their property's worth well and and let me let me add a little bit to that so that i can maybe uh further explain but you, you connected a huge a couple of huge dots here which which really i think bring a lot of this together um and and uh, i'm going to ask a, a question that property I mean, it was in, it was in, you know, complete disrepair, terrible shape. I mean, I don't know the right term for it, but it was not livable, right? Somebody had to go in and fix it and get it ready to, to, you know, to, to, to be lived in again. Right. I mean, she wasn't living in it. Right. Right. So, yeah, she was not living in it. And so, you know, the point I make is that, is that for, you know, um, so I think a lot of people, uh, you know, for me, for instance, you know, when I, when I sell, when I sell my, my house that I'm currently living in, I'm going to give it a fresh coat of paint, um, get it all cleaned up and I'm going to list it, you know, and, and somebody else is going to buy it and they're going to move in. Um, but, but, uh, but if, if, if I were to have a, a home that were, you know, say paid off and then I had a hurricane come through and, and mostly destroy it and I didn't have enough money to fix it. Well, I can't call my local real estate agent and ask him to list it for me. Um, you know, it's, it's not likely to net a sale is the point I'm trying to get at. Um, or I might not, might not likely find an agent that's willing to do that. And so what you guys are doing is you're actually offering that service to that seller and that service is the ability to be able to sell this property that, you know, she doesn't have the capability, the time, money, the effort, the ability to, to fix it up to sell. Right. So, so you're, you're kind of connecting somebody that, that wants to sell, that doesn't have the means to fix it, connecting them with somebody that 
wants to fix it and has the means to do so. And obviously we'll do it at a profit. Um, and so I, th- I think that that's, that's a, that's a really, really important, uh, couple of points to co- connect there. I think that's great. Solving, <coughs> solving a problem. That's right. So, um, w- when, what was the question I was going to ask? Um, do you, when, how do you decide if you want to keep a property for your own personal portfolio versus wholesaling it? And do you ever, well, so let me ask this question first. Do you ever, do you ever buy a property and then fix it up and, and play that role or are you not interested in that at all? No, we, we are, we are definitely interested in, in doing that. We're definitely in, interested in, in doing that. Um, I think a, a lot of the, that decision depends on, you know, what, what price we can get to. Not every house that we've marketed to is in a good rental neighborhood, right? Uh-huh. And we have, to, we have to ensure that we're going to um, make a return that's, that's worth it. And sometimes we value the velocity of money more than we uh, value the long-term cash flow. Um, but that it has to make sense. If it's a property that's been completely rehabbed and the person needed to sell it fast, we'd be more likely to, to get it for a discount and keep it in our portfolio at that point than we would one that was completely destroyed that we would have to completely, uh, you know, do a gut rehab on, um, and invest a lot of our own personal cash in. We would yeah. much rather get cash in and, and back out. The, the most recent one that, that we kept in our portfolio was the one Melissa was speaking ab- uh, about was, was an owner finance deal where we had to come out of our pocket very little. We had to come out of our pocket 15000 uh cash um, to then um, net 700 and something dollars a month. Right. So, so that's really, I think, as long as and, – and we also avoid – because we had a bad experience before bad neighborhoods, you know, crime, the high crime neighborhoods, um, and, and some of the lower income rentals, we, we tend to want to avoid those for our personal per- portfolio. Right. Is the one you owner finance, was that the condo or the townhome? No, no, we kept that one. We got private money for that one and kept that one. Okay. Uh, the, the one that we owner finance, um, was uh, a little brick house that already had a tenant in place. Um, and I, I can give you the address afterwards, Kyle. Okay. How many rentals do you currently have right now in this area? Just over here. We have um, four over here, and then we have six on the East Coast, and then a few out of town, uh, out of state as well. Two of them are short-term rentals? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. So, what's your ideal deal look like? What's your what's the ideal deal look like? Gosh, can't come up with a better word. <laughs> well, the ideal deal is one we're working on right now that I am super freaking happy about. Tell, tell yeah. us what I'm you can tell. Get, I'm trying to get JD to be super super happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like I said. Our, we really like, we really love this to flip them, but you have to, and Kyle knows this too, you know, you have to really, it has to be just the right house, you know, with, because there's a lot of issues with contractors here and, 
you know, the quality of work and the price of the work. And so we just found this beautiful house and, um, uh, you know, near a golf course, it's got everything that you'd want in a, in a rehab. Um, there's no HOA fees. Yeah, there's no HOA fees. It's a great lot. It's a big house looking at the golf course in Panama city beach. And it's just beautiful. And he's very reasonable on his price. And, and just that's like the ideal deal where we know we can get in there, rehab it and, and, and get out in, you know, 60 days and, and just make a decent return on our money. So do you have it under contract now? It's almost. You're working on We're, it? There's, there's some legal troubles yeah. that we have to work through, not on our not end, on, on our the homeowner's uh, side that we're trying to assist with. It has to do with uh, divorce proceedings and some stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. How did you find that deal? Is that Did that come through? Um, which which lead generation channel did that come through? Direct mail. It was direct mail, okay. and he called in, and then I called him back, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I called him back, and it was like, it was a really brief conversation because I looked at the house before I called him, and I'm like, can we come over? <laughs> and it, well, and what's funny is about that. So we use a answering service to answer our phones for direct mail. It's right. an answering service, Pat Live, uh, and they just ask a couple basic questions and then forward us an email that says, "Hey, you know, here's what what we got." Well, on on the intake form, he stated that he wanted six hundred thousand dollars for the house. Okay. Which usually, it, it, you know, we, we go, we'll look it up on Zillow or do a quick look on PropStream and see what the, the properties valued at. Yeah. And the other houses are valued, you know, a little bit more than that, but right around that um, that number. And so then when Melissa looked it up and saw that the, the house was actually damaged, and we really, we thought it was going to be kind of a joke call or, or possibly a, a okay. listing. Right. Uh, once she got on the phone with him, uh, he he was able to give a more realistic price. Um, and then he just said, you know, because I really called him only to get that listing. And he was like, I don't want to list it. I just want to be done with it. And, you know, that's just, those are the magical words. Yeah. Somebody, they just want to be done. You know that they're super motivated then. Right. So, I, and I, I told him right up front, I go, listing listing it is going to be, it's going to net you the most money. That's going to be the best that we can do. And it won't be a process. And he was like, Nope, I don't want to list it. Okay. Yeah. So what, so what, what, what kind of damage did it have? Um, a lot of stucco damage, but other than that, everything else was just, you know, the roof had been replaced. The roof was replaced and they did a great job and it was permitted. All the things that you're scared to death of that you find out afterwards that they weren't permitted um it, you know it has a broken window needs a little paint nothing at all major except the stucco was the stucco from um just just age or from michael or the house is a 2006 okay um and uh, it's been under this divorce problem for about six years oh. um so but as soon as as the storm happened that, that that did help with the roof and, and with the stucco damage. Uh, but the, the main problem was the disagreement between husband and wife on who was going to fund the repairs and that that part of, of the situation. Okay. Um, so it just sat and sat and sat because of um, the... It probably got worse and worse and worse. That's exactly right. 
And so is there an agreement between um, him and her as, as far as how, how the sale will, will move forward? Yes, there is now. The judge has uh, made his order, and now it's just there needs to be an enforcement of the order. Okay. And so, and so then, then in, in a situation like this, you guys will, will buy it, uh, fix it up, and then sell it. Exactly. Okay. And then, um, so what do you think the cost of repairs are going to be? Uh, we have them at about a hundred, hundred and five. And then, what did he finally agree to to sell at? Well, we can't tell you she that can't yet. Tell you that right okay, now. it's not in a contract. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Depends so, on when this yeah, well, because we haven't identified the property, that's the only reason I ask. It's it's just yeah. a it's just a deal on paper that that doesn't have a yeah. uh, anything identified. Um, but uh, but that but that's fine. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to understand me- mechanics here um, because what what do you think what do you think it'll sell for when it's ready to go and you know moving ready? It'll be six plus. Okay. Yeah. So hypothetically, mm-hmm. you paid three fifty for it. Let's just go with that. So oh, I'm just wondering what your margin's going to be and, and what your time cost of time's going to be and all that. That that's where that's where I was going yeah. with that. But but uh, the bottom well, line is it'll be profitable for you. If we use Kyle's hypothetical number uh, of of three fifty, and then we're in it for another hundred and five, so that puts us at four fifty five, right. and we're holding it for four months from start to finish, including sale. Um, we're looking at a little over three thousand dollars a month for uh, holding costs yeah. right now and our cost of money. Okay. Um, and then, so I see why it looks like a cherry though. You know, it looks like a real, real, uh, one of those, one of those not so common deals that you kind of come across your plate and you really want to jump on. I mean, that's, that's, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, that, this, that's what we live for is those yeah. kind of things. <laughs> those are the ones. And so uh, we're super happy about that. It gets um, you excited. I love those type of deals. Would you yeah, ever consider holding a deal like that for the long term since the long term rental market's so hot? Sounds like that's a, not, a, a good property that would that would rent well well real well too. Not in uh, no. no. Just because <laughs> the return on investment yeah. and cash flow on a wouldn't, high end wouldn't would not be uh, plus our experience with high end purchasers and high end renters are they tend to to require the most management really uh, a lot as opposed to your uh average if, if we're looking at a hundred and fifty thousand dollar house that rents for two thousand dollars a month our our maintenance cost and time is a lot less in that price point than it would be on a half a million dollar house that rents for five thousand a month that's really interesting to know because i honestly wouldn't have thought that yeah yeah. Well, and, and let's let's not. We would also have a high management in the lower income. So the lower income uh, rentals and the higher income rentals, uh, for two different reasons, require a lot more management than the middle median uh, type um, management. In our experience, right. everyone right, right. has, has so, different. What is the higher end versus the lower end? You said two different reasons. What are those reasons? Well, so for, for lower end, we are doing a lot more uh, maintenance on the property because the properties tend to be older. Um, right. The higher end, we're doing a lot more maintenance on the properties because 
uh, the demand for smaller fixes is, is greater. I'm not sure how to to explain that um, other than the the properties in the in in the lower. So really, if we're talking about it, we had a, a 10, 10 unit apartment complex in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, okay. uh, that was. Uh, mostly Section Eight type housing, but it was in in what you you hear other investors refer to as a war zone. Like there was a <laughs> gangland execution style murder oh, in no. the house next door to our property, wow. like less than a month after we bought it. And like, um, and, and so those properties were old and damaged, and we had constant maintenance problem, constant. Uh, we have had stolen cars left and abandoned on the property. We had a lot of that kind of stuff because of the area that it was in. And then um, Melissa has a lot of uh, the, the higher end or experience with the higher end rentals and, and people. Um, and the, I guess, I don't know how to explain that. Melissa, do you? Um, not to sound bougie or anything, but I've we've even seen that as a pattern in the, our short-term rentals. Like when it's off-season and there the the price point is lower, we don't have a lot of calls. But now that season has started again and the price per night is higher, they call about everything. It's like the it, and I I know a lot of people might take me what I'm saying wrong, but it's like when people are paying more, they expect more, whereas you know, it, I, I'm just going to fix my uh, filter. You know, I'm just going to change my filter out yeah. in my house, my $2,000 a rent house. Right. But a 5000 you know, if you're not calling it out in the contract, they're expecting you to come fix it and right. come change it out. Yeah. So I, it's, I get it's that. interesting. There, there really is. It's, it's very interesting to me to watch the pattern. Well, the point is, you got to find the sweet spot of 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 the yeah. uh, of who you want to do business with, and and the types of properties and, wh- and whatever you're doing. I mean, you got to find the sweet spot yeah. on what you're wanting to do. Some people may 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 want to cater to that higher end or that lower end. I mean, it just kind of depends on what what you want to do. You know what I mean? And and um, I, but I think that's great feedback. Um, I wanted to go back and, and talk to talk a little bit about the direct mail. You said that you said that one um, that one seller lead came from came directly from uh, or came from direct mail. Um, do you, are you sending out direct mail on a regular basis? Is it the same thing? Do you switch it up? Um, is it the same list? Um, is it just a postcard or is it like a full on flyer? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, we do multiple lists, uh, and we do letters and postcards. It just depends. So, um, I guess we do our niche list. We, we, we pull our niche list once a quarter and our niche lists are code enforcement, uh, tax lien, uh, foreclosure. Um, there's a couple, there's a couple of other that fall into that category. Um, probate is, is also a, a niche list probate. We don't send postcards to, we send, uh, letters. Um, but we're only sending out four or five of those a week. Um, but our other lists are, are, are 30,000 and we split those up over the course of somewhere between five and eight weeks because, uh, when you send out, you know, 5,000 postcards, we're getting, I, I don't know, 60 calls, uh, maybe 60 calls 
um, okay. a week, and it's hard to field all those calls and give each lead the attention that they need uh, with the size team that we have. So we, we spread them out, and we try to maintain a consistent um, send, but we're not always the best at staying consistent. We want to. If, in an ideal world, we'd send out 5,000 postcards a week every week from now until forever. Right. Uh, but but uh, we're not always that uh, disciplined. But it still works. Direct mail still works, at least for us, because just um, not even counting calling, just tr- not counting everything, but just tracking the inbound calls last week. There were 82 wow. calls. 64 of them gave information. Wow. So, and all of those it, are leads you can follow up with later. You know, I mean, even if it doesn't pan yeah. into something right now, you've got something that, that you uh, can. Yeah, follow up is huge. Anybody who's new to that, it, it, that's one thing that, you know, it, I can't. Every single enough. time, every single time we see uh, either a new uh, MLS hot sheet or um, some of other wholesalers in the area send out a property. We check it against our list, and more times than I'm proud of, we've seen deals that we should have closed that didn't because of either a lack of follow-up or sometimes they just fall through the cracks or sometimes we've identified them as a dead lead when really we should have kept following up with them. Uh, So it's definitely something, and and we're getting better with that. Our new CRM is helping a a ton uh, with maintaining our follow-up. yeah, but follow, just to follow, just to follow, follow up, up, to follow up, yeah. follow up is huge. And so make sure you're building your system out from the very beginning to have a really tight follow up. So I'm a huge, uh, huge believer in direct mail. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story, and, and this is this was kind of what what started my adventure adventure in direct mail. Direct mail is what we use. Um, it's our I'd say it's our primary source of, of, uh, of new homeowner uh, management business, um, and our secondary is really going to be our, our SEO. We've got really strong SEO search and optimization on our website efforts. Um, but anyway, so I, I was at a Christmas party. It was, um, gosh, it had to been like 2008 or 2009. Just I don't know if you guys were in this market, but every real estate market had crashed, but it was just everything was dead. Everything was dead, dead, dead everywhere. Nobody was doing anything. Uh, I had uh, architect friends, contractor friends, real estate agent friends, you know, and, and all elements of the real estate business, and everybody was just dead, you know, starving. And um, and I was at this Christmas party, and there's this. It was a it was a general contractor, and we were talking. I'm like, man, you know, and and uh, I'm like, you know, you're struggling like everybody else. He's like, he's like, I've never been busier. And I'm like, really? What are you doing? And he was like, condo remodels. And I'm like, condo remodels. I was like, okay, well, you know, where where is your business coming from? And he was like, direct mail. And I'm like, interesting. So talk to me about it. And so he told me, he was like, I could spend, you know, a thousand bucks a month on a billboard or banner advertisement or, you know, any kind of advertisement or $500 a month, pick your marketing budget, whatever you want. And he was like, but all of my customers live in these condos. And he was like, I picked four condo buildings here in Panama City Beach that I that I wanted to do work in. Um, and I knew that that the age of the condo buildings were were such that there would be a higher likelihood that they would need, um, you know, interior remodeled, uh, re, uh, re, interior interiors remodeled. 
Um, and so he was like, I would just, every month I would send, I would send mail. It was, he was like, I just sent a postcard, nothing, nothing big. I just had the postcard company design it up for me. And he's like, and I've been doing that for the last five years to the same four condos. And he was like, now when anybody wants to remodel, I'm the first person they think of because they get one of my mailers every four months. Cause he's like, I just got on a rotation. I was like, wow, that's kind of genius. And actually, that's what we've done um, in my 10 years of being in business. We've sent, um, you know, with with small tweaks and updates and and stuff in terms of design and content, but largely the exact same direct mail piece to um, to to um, really about. Well, it's about 10,000. The list has grown to about 10,000, but of the same area, um, you know, in Panama City Beach and 30A. And every time we send a piece of direct mail, we get. Um, well, every time we drop a mailer, we get anywhere from five to 10 new properties that, that we onboard. Um, and sometimes we'll have 16, 20, you know, something like that just kind of depends, but, um, but we bring in a tremendous amount of business, but it's not because we sent out one piece of direct mail one time to, you know, one person, you know what I mean? We send the same thing out and have been doing it for years and years and years. And we've built this relationship and we get people all the time. They go, man, I've been getting your mail for, for years and the timing's just not been right. And, but I got your mailer last month and I'm thinking about it. Here we go. Consistency. And consistency, 100%. Because you're touching. You know, you're making all these marketing touches. So that's why I asked that question. But direct mail is huge. So yeah, as we're getting to the close of this, um, tell me, so for a new wholesaler that doesn't have the same type of capital that you may have to run this type of business, what? how could they get started and build up to building this bigger business? What would you recommend? That's a good question. Um Driving for dollars, I, doing letters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, beat the streets. Driving for dollars. Yep, and yep. then just doing handwritten letters and just do small target, you know. When, and then, when you start out, you might not have money, but you have time. And, yeah. and we all know that, that time is money. So if, if you got the, the time and the hustle to go around and, and find the houses that look like they need a little bit of work and then track them down through things like free people search, and make those calls yourself or, or send out those letters, those handwritten yellow letters yourself, um, you're going to send out a lot and, and, you know, maybe you'll get lucky, but if you're consistent with it, you're definitely going to get deals. So, yeah. And then go to local meetups, go to as many meetups as you can go to just so that you can start networking and meeting people. Right. So you can always find that next deal or find someone to sell that deal to if you don't have the capital to buy it yourself. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, offer to JV with other wholesalers who, who have a list or who have a buyer's list that, you know, they can help you move your property. That's, I mean, I think that's the best way to do it. I think you could be successful pretty quick doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Your network controls your net worth kind of thing. And the, the more people you know in the industry, the easier it's going to be for you to um, learn from them and to um, – do business with them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So where can everyone find you? Uh, well, we, we have a pretty strong social media presence. Um, that's uh, Facebook. We're Shorefront Investments. We also do our own podcast called The Real Estate Jam. It's on all of the other um, podcast platforms. Um, and um, we do have our own website shorefront-investments.com um and we're pretty active on facebook though if you reach out we're super approachable uh and can answer questions or um do deals together so 
So you said shorefront-investments.com, and then all your social media accounts will be linked from there? Yep. Got it. I have that. So um, for those of you that are listening, we'll have that in the show notes, um, and I'll, I'll link over to their Facebook page. I'll find that for us as well. Um, and then, uh, I'll also find a link to, um, to your real estate podcast. Did you say it was the real estate jam? J is in Jason, a M is in Matthew. Yeah. And right. also you know, any, we are here to help if anybody needs help or, you know, we can have them come in the office and, you know, help them show them, show them what we know for sure. Anytime. Well, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much for you guys' time and, um, Really appreciated the opportunity to talk to you guys and learn about your your real estate cash flowing business. Um, once again, this is JD Monroe, Melissa. Ha- is is it? I can't even. How do you pronounce your last name again, Melissa? Howarth. It doesn't Howarth. matter. Got it. <laughs> Melissa, the real estate queen. That's what I like to call. That's her. it. <laughs> well, um, thanks so much for listening, guys, and we'll see you guys in the next episode. All right. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Bye. Bye. Kai. Bye.